Hey folks, Christopher here. Before we get into this month's episode, I wanted to apologize. I didn't realize that when we were recording our conversation that my computer's microphone wasn't working properly. Actually, it was picking up the wrong microphone. It was taking the onboard microphone and not the microphone microphone. Well, if that makes any sense. Anyway, I sound a little muddy and in, like I'm in a large room. Probably because I was in a large room. But anyway, it's all still very clear. I cleaned it up as best I could. You should still be able to hear it just fine. I just wanted to let you know that you're not hearing things. I am aware it was my fault. I should have checked. I hope you enjoy this. Liddy and I had a lot of fun. Again, I'm sorry. And here it is, episode number 31, if you can believe that, of Working Entertainment. I am Christopher, and this is Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain media. Joining me on this crazy train we call a podcast is my favorite passenger, Lydia. Welcome back. (laughs) I'm only a passenger? Oh, man. (laughs) I I was hoping for at least like conductor or something there. But I was actually, you know what? I actually meant to say that I was the conductor. I was working on a whole, you know, theme (laughs) metaphor thing, and I completely forgot it. Now, see, I would think you as the engineer, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Uh, it feels like it's been forever since I've talked to you. I know it's been a couple months. Well, and a lot. But it feels like it's been. It feels like it's even been longer. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, it's awesome to finally get a chance to sit down with you again. Yay! Well, you're sitting. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I'm sitting. I assume. Too. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm sitting too. But you never know. Lydia, Lydia radio, uses the stand-up well, podcast desk. I do. It makes me walk in order to record. No, it's not true. There you go. <laughs> That'd be a great idea, though. Somebody out there is going to patent that. <laughs> that would be nice. I, I should do it. I just need longer cords, and I could just pace while I record, and then I could burn calories. Put it I on could a use treadmill. It. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Welcome to... Uh... <laughs> Get fit. Be a podcaster. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a short break while we build up some steam. Hey, we'll try not to get too far off track. <laughs> Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 
1951 Down Place can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Should I have said hammer pants? 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Right, all aboard! <laughs> I, I wasn't ready for it then. I was swallowing some water. <laughs> <laughs> well, to give you an idea why, if you haven't actually been keeping up on the Facebook page or anything, I've been using all these silly train metaphors. Uh, we are going to be discussing the 1972 British-Spanish co-production Horror Express. Uh, this film stars Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and Telly Savalas, and was directed by Eugenio Martin. You know, Eugenio Martin had just finished a film called Pancho Villa with Telly Savalas in the title role. And the sets used in Horror Express were actually from the production of Pancho Villa. Wow. Am I saying that right, Pancho Villa? Uh, yes, Sounds I believe right. you are. They only had one train car set. So all the scenes for any particular set had to be shot all together. And then the set redressed. And then all the scenes that for that set were then shot. Which is, you know, a, a very kind of a tricky move, but pretty ingenious for getting the most out of very little. Logical, yeah. Yeah. The budget for this film was uh, only around $300,000 in 1971, and that works out to be just under $2 million in today's money. So it was not a big budget movie. Definitely not by today's standards. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. The stars of this film, Peter Cushing, who... Uh, as a coincidence, I, I didn't plan this, but the day that we are recording is actually the, the uh, anniversary of his birth, as his birth date. He was born on, uh, what is the day? May 26th. <laughs> it, I, yeah. <laughs> he was born on May 26th, so that is the day that we are recording this. So that actually worked out pretty well that we're actually hey. going to do one of his films. Happy birthday, Peter. <laughs> He'd be uh, 102, I think, if he were still alive. Yeah, he is a very familiar face to many classic film and horror fans. He has played everything from Van Helsing, Fighting Dracula, <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein, creating the famous monster. He's appeared as Sherlock Holmes, traveled through time and space in two Doctor Who films, <laughs> and even blew up a planet or two as Grand Moff Tarkin ah, in Star yes. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sir Christopher Lee is another very recognizable actor for many of the same reasons. He could often be found squaring off against Peter Cushing's Van Helsing when he donned the cape of Count Dracula in several Hammer Studio productions. Horror Express is actually one of the few films where the two actors get to play as a team rather than adversar adversaries. Lee almost backed out of this film. Uh, in early 1971, he lost his wife to, an Ill to illness. Uh, still mourning, he felt he couldn't do the film. Fortunately, Cushing uh, apparently talked him into it. Uh, much to the director Martin's relief, having the two famous Hammer stars in the film almost guaranteed a decent box office uh, for this film abroad. Now, we may not get too far into his actual appearance in this film, but the aforementioned Telly Savalas, uh, who does <laughs> has an, an interesting role in this movie, yeah. He, uh, he started acting in the early 1960s and quickly found himself in many villainous roles, uh, including in the film The Dirty Dozen and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm -hmm. But it was his turn as the lollipop-loving TV detective Kojak that he may be best remembered. And he garnered several Emmy and Golden Globe nominations for that role. Now, obviously, I know Kojak is a bit before your time, Liddy. Did you ever see any of his Kojak? Kojak? No. I was just eyeing the fact that he was also in Capricorn 1. 
Oh yeah, he's done a lot oh, of gosh, films. yeah. Not all, uh, sometimes not always the biggest roles, but usually showing up as the bad guy. He's <laughs> played a couple comedies. He's done the good guy. He's done the bad guy. He's done a little bit of everything. He's done the love boat. He yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes it no. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's what defines a career right there. <laughs> Being <laughs> on the love boat. <laughs> well, let's get into the plot of Horror Express a little bit. The film opens up with a, uh, a sort of a narration. Well, from... it opens up with the longest train whistle ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the very intro. I actually thought it was stuck at first, but it wasn't. <laughs> and many uh, blinding lights. <laughs> mm. So here's a, a fun bit of trivia for you. So the film starts and, you know, longest train whistle ever. And then as soon as the title comes up, I went, I've seen this. I have already seen this before. <laughs> I'd actually watched it when I was on a Christopher Lee kick, but I didn't recognize the title until I actually saw it on the screen. So oh, uh, awesome. it is memorable. It's just, you know, one of many enjoyable Christopher Lee films. So it kind of got swept back under the carpet. Yeah, I think I saw this many years ago because the last time I saw it was just within, I want to say, maybe than just last October uh, when uh, Turner Classics does their big, uh, it, it, during October to Halloween, they, they play a lot of great classic horror mm -hmm. films. I and this definitely just, counts as a great classic horror. Yeah, and I, and I fill up the DVR with these things, and that one came <laughs> up. And even then when I watched it, I'm thinking, yeah, some of this seems really familiar. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure I'd seen it before, and then so I, I'd watched it then, so it was, it's a lot of fun to talk about it now. Right. Well, and then you also run against, you know, the possibility that it was, you know, partially responsible for inspiring an episode of Doctor Who um, called, oh gosh, what was it, the, oh, Mummy on the Train, or, oh, Mummy on the Orient Express, that was what it was. Oh, very nice. You know, I never really, yeah, a, there you go. A little <laughs> bit similar plot there, just saying. <laughs> very similar. I kind of like it. Well, the film opens at, after the very long train whistle and the blinding <laughs> lights. Al almost The blinding lights almost covering the credits, which I thought was kind of mm -hmm. <laughs> who, who is that? I can't see. It's like cre credits directed by J.J. Abrams. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Credits sink in. We hear a little uh, narrator. Uh, this is Christopher Lee's character, Ale uh, Professor Alexander Saxton, giving a, a little narration. The following report to the Royal Geological Society by the undersigned Alexander Saxton is a true and faithful account of events that befell the Society's expedition in Manchuria. As the leader of the expedition, I must accept responsibility for its ending in disaster, but I will leave to the judgment of the honorable members the decision as to where the blame for the catastrophe lies. Well, apparently this, his expedition is uh, somewhere in China. Uh, there's some confusion exactly where this film takes place. because. Yeah, he, he says Manchuria, but then it, the the screen says something else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then uh, later on in the film, again, the screen says they're in one city, but then the script, the actual lines, put them in another city. So somewhere in China. <laughs> right, yeah, somewhere in China. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is. He and his party are exploring a cave and stumble on a uh, some frozen remains of some sort of creature. Uh, definitely looks like it has some sort of face. We don't really get a lot of detail from it, but it definitely has a face. 
I, I titled this uh, location the Mysterious Tunnel, capital M, capital T. Oh, very nice. I like it. Mysterious Tunnel. That's probably what it's called in, <laughs> in the script. Whatever exactly. province uh, of China they happen to be in. <laughs> in, in, yeah, in Mandarin. In Manchurian. Manchur there you go. And in the Sejuan Manchur province there. <laughs> well, they transport the fossil to a train station. Again, the uh, screen says Peking, which is now called Beijing. Uh, but the script then later calls it Shanghai. So they're, you know, a few hundred miles apart. So, you know, take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they are going in the, the Trans-Siberian train so i mean they are going from from east to west so it is you know i mean they probably went through each of those areas at some point but honestly i'm, I'm not a i'm not a professor of chinese geology or i'm sorry geography nope me neither i had to look things up on the map and figure out where they are and why they didn't. you're more dedicated than i am i just went with the story <laughs> well, i just wanted to make sure i didn't say oh but it said shanghai and then find out they're like right <laughs> To each other, right? right. You know, the same. Yeah, the they same have to go thing. around that big mountain just to get back exactly. to the other, you know, close to the other side. <laughs> Regardless of where he's at, Professor Saxton is having a lot of a lot of trouble actually getting on the train. He apparently wired ahead for a reservation, which is uh, mysteriously missing. The uh, I don't know what you call him, the conductor or the the official at the ticket train master. station won't let sure. him on. Yeah, ticket master, the official. Tick, yeah, there you go. Well, in walks Dr. Wells, and this is the Peter Cushing character. Well, well, look who's here. Professor Saxon, I presume. Dr. Wells. And what are you doing in Shanghai? I've asked you the same thing. Oh, I'm just collecting a few specimens. Miss Jones, let me introduce Professor Alexander Saxton. He dabbles in fossils and birds. Glad to meet you, Professor. Glad to do. Miss Jones has been assisting me. Bacteriology, excellent technician. <laughs> For a woman, he means. <laughs> and she's excellent at what she does uh, for a woman. For a woman, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Glad you picked up on that, too. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple of little surprising quips in this uh, in this movie. There are a couple. There's one actually in the end that is really great that I think yeah. we'll mention closer to the end. I don't think we're going to get that far in the plot, but I definitely want to mention it before we close <laughs> out. Right. It's, it's funny. And while the two are being reacquainted, a local out on the... Um, Oh, what would you call it out in the, the, the platform? The, the platform. Thank you. You're welcome. Tries his hand at getting into Saxon's giant crate. Uh, he's later found dead with stark white eyes. Dun, dun, dun. And I, I love there are a couple of things about this effect. And we see this effect a lot more through this film. But you can tell like his eyes have bled. So they've turned white and they've bled. And it's yes. very creepy, actually. It's. It yeah. is very creepy. And it's actually very well done. I mean, you don't think of, I, mean, I guess this was 71. So I guess the idea of some sort of contact or something is not out of the, uh, out of the realm of possibility, but it's obviously what they did. They obviously couldn't do any kind of after uh, painting or anything. Yeah, they yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, and they do an exceptional job with it. I mean, I mean, for the technology of today, it's actually quite, quite convincing. I have to think, though, that at the time, those had to be the most uncomfortable things to stick yeah. in. <laughs> they eye. are huge. And later on, you see kind of a close-up of somebody else with them. And, and they look like full-on cataracts that have just grown over. But, yeah, they look enormous. 
Yeah, you almost would expect that they would have done something that would actually fit over the eyelid, but no, I don't think so. I think these literally were some sort of caps stuck yeah. under the eyelids and the eyes. And it's I just, agree. It makes you cringe when you think about how that <laughs> must have felt. <laughs> well, Professor Saxton, who uh, doesn't approve of the bribing, uh, tries his own way of getting his passage, the strong arm tactic. <laughs> he shoves everything on this guy's desk onto the floor. Uh, looks like he's about ready to threaten the guy when it just so happens that uh, a, a group of soldiers march into the office and apparently are have been sent by some high-up official who tells Mr. Saxon that they're there to be of any service if he needs anything. Christopher Lee, you know, Saxon, he just then just sort of turn and just looks at the uh, at the official. And <laughs> mm-hmm. The guy's like, um, oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Your ticket. It's right here. <laughs> doesn't have, the guy doesn't have to say anything. Yep. No problem. Back on the platform, we meet a, uh, the, the rather mad monk. Uh, Father, I'm going to say this wrong. Pujardo. How did he say it? Pujardo. Pujardo. I, I refer to him as the creepy priest. Or the Creepy mad monk. Priest, the mad monk. Yeah, all right. <laughs> since, since I would mangle the name, I'm just going to say mad monk. <laughs> yeah, but I love what he says here. He says, whatever you have here is unholy and must be destroyed. I just yes, like the way he said that. <laughs> yeah, we also meet a police inspector, Mirov, at the scene of the death. Yeah, the mad monk declares that the entire thing is the act of Satan. And he makes a pretty compelling argument with it, just uh, with a piece of chalk. I love this effect. It's, again, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then what actually happens is not what you would have expected to happen. No, I don't think we, we can go ahead and kind of give that away. He, he says, you know, where, where, where Christ is, you know, where, where God is, it, there's always a place for a cross, even on the stone floor. And he takes a piece of chalk and draws a cross on the stone floor. He says, but where there is Satan, there is no place for the cross. And he tries to draw a cross on the crate and nothing, the, the chalk doesn't stick. It, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't draw. Yeah. And again, I, this is, I just feel like that's a super, a very simple, but a very effective effect. Effective yeah, effect. <laughs> effective effect. Yeah, very much. Of course, uh, Saxon just blows it off as just a conjurer's trick and it means absolutely nothing. And he has the uh, soldiers load the crate onto the train. He doesn't care too much about this thief or he's on his way. That's that's as simple as that. He has a discovery and he wants to share with the world. Exactly. But he is a little reluctant to disclose the contents of this discovery until he actually publishes his findings in the uh, in the Journal of Science. And he definitely doesn't want to let the uh, Dr. Wells know what it is he has in this crate. Uh, Even after they all hear it growl. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I had to back that up because I kind of missed it the first time. And then the second time, like I backed it up a couple minutes and then I heard the the growl and I was like, I missed that the first time. And I love it because then they go through the whole thing of opening up the crate and looking inside and, you know, proving that there's nothing moving in there. It's just this. He even reaches in and moves the part of the stone that this fossil is encased in. Exactly. As he closes up, you know, Wells shows up and he's like, well, no, you've got something live in there. I heard it. Nope, you're mistaken. Well, you'll have to feed it. What's in there hasn't eaten in two million years. <laughs> Certainly a great way to save on groceries. Or something. <laughs> it's, like, yep. it's a very British way of saying that. Yeah. Oh, I love, though, the bit about the chalk. They, uh, and then so they start talking about it. And, uh, and he says, you know, 
Oh, well, I guess we should get on to the Countess because that's actually what happens next. Yeah, yeah. Before we leave, we do find out that uh, Dr. Wells, before he leaves the baggage car, he uh, he ends up bribes the uh, baggage man to take a peek inside the crate overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, and they run into the Countess, who is a uh, Polish Countess, we find out, who mm-hmm. has a little, the poodle that is terrified of the crate. <laughs> Alinka's afraid of something. What do you have in that crate? Oh, nothing that would interest Alinka, madame. Normally she likes Englishmen. All we Poles do. I'm honored, madame. Oh, yes, England. Queen Victoria, crumpets, Shakespeare. I admire Poland, madame. I believe that there is a bond between our countries. My husband, the Count Petrovsky, says that in the 15th century, your King Henry betrayed us to the Russians. Hmm. I hope that you and your husband, madame, will accept my profoundest apologies. She's really afraid. I wonder what it is. May I escort you back to your carriage, madame? Yeah, everyone seems to very immediately knows that there there are tons of bags and crates within this yeah. car. <laughs> but immediately the poodle, you know, she points out, oh, there's something. What's in there? The the, the dog is so afraid. Right. Uh, it's yeah. But and then I love it after that. You know, he says, you don't think that, or I think that it's um, it's Saxon and uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just lost the names. Saxon and Wells are talking about it. He says, how how do you you know. Uh, how do you explain the chalk? Like, don't you think it's evil? How do you explain the chalk not working? And I love how Saxon explains it. He goes, hypnosis, yoga, because everybody knows yoga makes chalk not right. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. Well, as luck would have it, it turns out the professor Saxton and Dr. Wells are in the same car. Uh, this definitely seems to cramp Dr. Wells a little bit uh, because he's actually, uh, quote unquote, helping a, a very beautiful uh, woman by the name of uh, Natasha, who has uh, weaseled her way on, on board the train without any tickets. I should point out, uh, speaking of just horror connections, uh, famous horror connections, Helga Linné who uh, plays Natasha is also a very well-known uh, horror star in a lot of the uh, Spanish and uh, Giallo films. Mm-hmm. So another recognizable names for anyone who's really into the, the horror, the classic horror genre. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, the baggage man whistles his way into the crate. Uh, he gets distracted by something and the creature actually manages to pick the lock and let himself out of the crate. And I then it's it, such an incredibly intelligent creature. <laughs> but they now when you first watch it, you're going, okay, wait a minute. This thing's been encased in stone in the last two million two years. Two million years. Okay, I can I can get it waking up, but the what really kinda and I, I think this is actually a really effective use of storytelling, what kind of blows your mind is it knows how to bend a piece of metal and make and use it as the key to pick a lock. And when I was first rewatching this, I thought, mm, that's you know, that's stretching our belief a little bit too far, but I like that they actually, I mean, it's, it's not just sloppy storytelling. There's actually a reason behind it. Yes, exactly. It's explained later on in the film. Yes. Well, the baggage man uh, is killed by this creature again, leaving him with these stark white eyes. And again, a really effective uh, special effect. I, I 
keep saying effective special effect, but, you know, very compelling where the eyes start to bleed. And of course the guy is, you know, yelling and, you know, in the eyes and the nose and the mouth are all bleeding. And then the eyes turn white and I, it's, it's, it's super effective. <laughs> it, it's actually, it comes out, it comes across as a very gruesome death without really actually does. being extremely Boring. visceral. Yeah. It, yes. It, and it is, but it's still very, I mean, it's obvious that whatever is going, I love the, I mean, the way that they, they kind of Ooh, link this. Gr- gruesome without being gory. How's that? Yes, it is. It that is. might be better. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I love that at some point they, they move on to, you know, they're having dinner and he looks down and he's in, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember if it's Wells or Saxon. I think it's Wells. Looks yeah, you're jumping and, ahead a little bit here because I got that in my notes. Oh well, I'll I'll we'll go in chronological order. Okay, that would speed things up, I guess, if we did. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things that maybe we want to uh, we want to talk about first. Uh, we do find out that the monk is on board the train. He's traveling along with the Count and Countess Petrovsky, uh, and he feels the evil on board. I, and I love his line there too. He says, "There's the stink of hell on this train. Even mm-hmm. the dog knows it." <laughs> <laughs> It's like even the least intelligent creature on this entire train knows that, you know, the, the devil is here. There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. When the Englishman comes to call, what should I wear? Sure of yourself, aren't you? The blue one with the décolleté. Or perhaps the red one. You're jesting with her immortal soul. That's why we keep you, Pujardov. Our immortal souls are your concern. She's afraid of something. Tell me, Pujardov. Yes? Which do you think I should wear for the Englishman? The red or the blue? Enough. I forbid you to talk this way. You forbid? Forgive me, Your Excellency. My concern for the spiritual welfare of the Countess, I forgot myself. I will pray for humility. Pray hard, Pajardov, or you'll find yourself praying for a job, too. Oh, it's the piece I was playing. I wonder who it is. I enjoy the relationship that they kind of explain in just this brief scene between the Count and Countess and this monk. Yeah. It's that Count and Countess, I think they're just using him. They're just living their lives any way they want and just having him pray all their sins away. Exactly. And I mean, it's, it's, I think it's probably not as far fetched as it may seem in modern day for people Mm -hmm. to have done that, especially of an elevated rank and, you know, I'm speculating, but it's believable. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you know, 1906, and we've got you know uh, 
European dignitaries. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, the body of the porter is discovered within Saxton's crate yeah. after they uh, force their way into it. Saxton still won't open the thing, even uh, under the threat of bodily harm. Did you like <laughs> the guard raising the rifle butt right at the guy's head? Yes. Wow. Um, all right. Uh, I, I love it once they discover the uh, the body. Oh my God. It's the baggage man. What was in there? I told you, a fossil, part ape, part man. It lived two million years ago. Are you telling me that an ape that lived two million years ago got out of that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there, then locked everything up neat and tidy and got away? Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Lock him up. We'll search the train and find it, whatever it is, and destroy it. But if it's alive... I want this kept quiet. I don't want to panic the passengers. Yes, nobody says somebody stole it and killed the porter and stuffed his body in here. They all just say, it was alive. <laughs> yeah, just, and every, everyone accepts it. Yes, that's what happened. Even the, even the police inspector. And then, you know, moving forward, we actually see the creature moving around more mm -hmm. than just his arm. And in it... it at this point, they kind of start showing a little bit more and a little bit more of the process of this creature killing people. Because the first thing we see is just, you know, the thief is laid out on the platform and his eyes are open and white and there's blood. And then the next thing we see is the guy starts bleeding a little bit, you know, and then it switches away. And as it progresses, you see a little bit more and a little bit more of the process of the creature. You know, they, they tell you a little bit more about what's really going on with each successive death. The results of the quiet search actually result in the death of a guard. And then a, the, the white eyes of the boiled fish. And then it's, after seeing that, and then after the urging of Miroff, he, uh, Dr. Wells performs an autopsy on one of the victims. Well, and I like this because I think it's a little bit of misleading because he, he looks down and he says that fish's eye is white. And uh, the, the, oh, he's a, Another passenger. He's another scientist, another the passenger. Thing, yeah. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah. The, the scientist that's seated at the table with him says, well, of course it's white. It was boiled. And I love it because it's almost like a little, pardon the word, red herring. <laughs> <laughs> where, where you go, oh, wait, maybe these people are being boiled, you know, or boiled from right. the inside out. Um, I, and it's, I mean, that was definitely where my mind went from the scene as I thought, ooh, because, you know, of course I didn't remember the, all of the plot, but you know, right. I thought, oh, they, they are, you know, oh, the, they're boiling the people. Yeah, <laughs> they're boiling the their brain. I thought was well, somehow they're actually being there. They're actually being cooked. And just so you feel better, I, if you didn't say red herring, I would have. Oh, yay. It was right on the tip of my, it was right on the tip of my tongue. I was waiting for you to pause. <laughs> it's actually a literal red herring. <laughs> it really is. You don't is see that very herring. often. <laughs> So Dr. Wells and his assistant do an well, autopsy on, I, I think, back, the baggage man. I have yeah. to back up a little. This is one of those quippy little moments that you don't expect. Oh, right. And, uh, and you know, the doctor said, he goes over to the other table and he says, Miss Jones, I, I shall need your assistance. And she goes, well, and, and he's eating with this beautiful young Natasha at the time, you know, and he jumps, but he goes over to her and he says, Miss Wells, I shall need your assistance. And she says, yes, well, at your age, I'm not surprised. And he goes, <laughs> with an autopsy. And she's all, oh, well, that makes oh, sense. Oh, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, I mean, it's just one of those little moments that, you know, there is a little bit of humor in this. It's not just all straight, you know, drama. And I think that's what keeps it well-paced and interesting. You know, if you don't, you don't have just endless 
drama going on in this. There's a little bit yeah, of exactly. Too. Well, they perform this autopsy, and after what may be one of the more gruesome, if, if, if not in visual and certainly in sound, they open up this poor guy's skull to look at his brain, complete with the bone saw and the, the, almost, the almost bottle opener kind of <laughs> knife. That, it, it literally kind of does that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yuck. And they find his brain to be completely smooth. Mm. All his memories, they, they uh, suspect, have been drained away. This is uh, going under the, what I think was, I, I think it's been kind of disproven as being anything but they, they were thinking that the, the, the wrinkles and folds in the brain were actually created by memories and learning. Well, and, and I know that it, at a time they had argued that, I mean, Einstein's, for example, brain was had considerably more folds and wrinkles than the average person. And so when they would look at, you know, highly intelligent people, they were noticing this. So whether that's a genetic thing or, or a, you know, result of memory formation i have no idea we'll just nope, run with I, it for the sake of you know belief, suspension of disbelief but exactly <laughs> but I, I do like the analogy that they make here they say it's been erased as if removed from a blackboard and yeah. you cut you get that little throwback to the chalk again i just, just oh, every yeah. once in a while they they tie a little piece here and a little piece <laughs> there and i think i think that's an indicator of how well it was written you know Mm -hmm, it could be, they could have just gotten lucky, but I think, I think that's an indicator that somebody really thought through, you know, they were well there doing the story. Well, Natasha, while uh, making the excuse that she's going to use the, uh, the, the, the car's restroom and to wash up and everything after a long day, uh, makes her way to the baggage car and opens a safe. Uh, I don't know where she got the combination to it, but she had a combination written in a pen of paper. She opens a safe and attempts to take... Uh, make off with something uh, that the countess had uh, had put in the safe and uh, is unfortunately killed by the creature. Is it unfortunately, though? Well, we don't know. But we do find out due to her death that she was actually a spy. That's right. She was a super spy looking for something that the count was carrying. Well, Dr. Wells looks for her. And narrowly escapes from being killed by the creature because Mirov happens to show up and fires a few shots at it. The creature appears to sort of entrance Mirov, uh, but Mirov appears to break the trance and gets off one last shot, which looks to have killed the creature before he himself collapses. Yes, and that actually brings us to the halfway mark. And I mean... There's some pretty special stuff that happens from this point that I don't know if I really want to spoil for anyone that might watch the film. Honestly, my notes trail off here because I think this is where it starts to get pretty, for lack of a better word, intense. I mean, intense might be too strong a word for it, but definitely captivating. Absolutely. Well, because you're halfway through and it appears that the thread is over and it turns out the threat is just beginning. And I, that's as much as I'll say about that. You know, I think you can pretty much come to your own conclusions there. <laughs> and unfortunately, like I said, we don't get to Kelly Savalas' appearance in the film. He shows up in the last half of the film is a in the last rather... like few minutes of the film. It's such yeah. a short a short appearance. It was almost surprising that they brought him in. Yeah, he shows up as a rather crazed military captain Kazan <laughs> who boards the train thinking that it's just full of spies or something. I, I'm not actually sure. I don't remember how he even finds out about the train or how. He comes to board the train. They, uh, uh, I, somebody sends him a telegram, and I think they uh, say, you, 
uh, well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Somehow he gets it. He gets it. I remember the ticker tape. <laughs> I remember them reading the ticker tape. But then, yeah, it's uh, kind of one of those things where I suppose if you're familiar more with train travel in it of the time, it would be completely logical. I guess, you know, there was one more quip that I wanted to talk about, but I just realized I can't talk about it without actually kind of spoiling what happens. Well, there the- were two, actually. <laughs> one is, and I can say this without any spoilers, one, one character says to the other, there's nothing in your head of any use. And the moment when this he says that is a great moment. Uh, you know, it's this moment where you're thinking, oh, everything's going to go really kind of sideways. <laughs> and then it doesn't because, or, you know, Maybe it's going to be the fulfillment of somebody's hopes, and I love it. And then uh, I know exactly the one that you're talking about. Oh. <laughs> and it just it, it let's just say that they uh, they refute an accusation by saying, "What we're British?" <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just the answer. Of course, that's not possible. We're British. We're British, you know. <laughs> and I know that's the one you were talking about because it's such absolutely. a absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely it was. But yeah, it's worth watching if only to find out what the opposite of being British is. (laughs) (laughs) This movie answers that question. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I was, you know, actually we burned through this one pretty quick. I really enjoyed this film. I think Uh, that's kind of why it went so quickly is, you know, when you're enthusiastic about it and you're, I mean, I think we both picked up on a lot of the same moments and in it's so it's a well written movie and it it really guides you along every every moment that you're supposed to be there there's no lull there's no sidetracking it's everything is to a point and for a purpose Absolutely yeah even stuff where you're thinking you know, it is a film that you have to watch the entire film to understand kind of why things happen in the beginning yes because you think it's nonsense Absolutely. you think well, what is the point yeah. And then at the end is like, oh, well, there you go. That like, does that like, does matter. Yeah, the brilliant lock picking that this creature that's been, you know, entombed in rock for two million years and you're just going, Really? Come on. Sure. That's even, not that makes no sense. He would know what even a lock the, is. Uh, even the objects uh, or object that was in the, uh, the in the safe that belonged to the Count and Countess that you assumed were just you know, maybe jewels or something like that. Oh yeah. It it, it has an important role to play in the film. Yeah, everything does. And they, I think that's one of the reasons this has been such a short conversation is there's, it's just a well done movie. Now, you know, this is something when we were choosing the film, I think even you kind of pointed out the fact that the, just by reading the plot synopsis, you thought this sounded like um, the thing on a train. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A little I was bit. actually very surprised. There is actually no credit giving to the, to the novel uh, or the short story who goes there by John Campbell, but you could easily see where there would be some comparisons made. I'm agreeing. I'm nodding my head. <laughs> that goes over very well in a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someday I'll learn to speak my thoughts. <laughs> I was actually surprised. If you actually go to the wiki page, it does give credit, but that is wiki. And I think maybe okay. that was someone putting their own, uh, their own spin on it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> So yeah, this had yeah, this had elements of the thing. This had elements of almost a Agatha Christie, you know, uh, Orient Express. Oh vibe. gosh, yeah, that was. I mean, I thought it Murder on the Orient Express several times while I was watching this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all comes together really well. I mean, you know, this director was damned lucky with getting Cushing and Lee, and actually seeing them play 
but as, as I said before, you know, kind of as a team mm-hmm. was so much fun. Cause like I said, it, 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 it's rare to see and they do so well together. Yeah, they really do. So let's see, uh, is there any other thoughts that you wanted to say about Horror Express? You know, I wish I had more to say about it, but... I did too. Tr- I it really tough. It's like, wow, I, I really thought I'd have more to say, but all I can think is I really enjoyed it. I really I enjoyed it. Really there's, there's nothing to nitpick, really. There's, um, you know, without giving things away, there's not a whole lot more to say about it other than I, I think this is probably one of the most enjoyable movies that Christopher Lee did. Well, well above, you know, um, well, no, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to kind of snarkily say better than uh, the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but I won't go there. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I think it doesn't, it, I think it's just really well thought out. So I think I, w- I would put this up over some of his Hammer appearances, some of his Dracula appearances, because, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, uh, those films are great. They're a lot of fun to watch. But if you watch one, you've watched them all. Well, and, and this is really story-driven. It, there are movies that you watch going, man, you know, I, I liked the movie, but so-and-so did this incredible performance. And this is one of those movies where, honestly, like the individual performances are very good. But the story really drives it. It really captivates you and keeps you involved. Absolutely. Do you want to go ahead and give some awful ratings? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is easy for me. This is easily out of five of five, Um, especially, you know, considering the the year it was made and how well it stands up. It is one of those where you expect it to be worse than it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Weirdly, and I... I mean, you know, you go into movies sometimes, and it's not because you expect this to be a bad film. It's that you just don't expect it to be so well put together. You don't expect it to be so cohesive. Cohesive? Yeah. Yeah, that's the word I wanted. So, yeah, yeah, this is an easy five for me. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. I think I'm going to give this one a five as well. Uh, I think the production team knew – I just had how I wanted to put this in my head and then completely lost it when I started to talk. Uh, They knew where their limitations were Mm -hmm. and played to them. Uh, The, you know, the, the creature, you don't see much of the creature. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the creature, if you had seen that in full light. Yes. I think you wouldn't have been pulled out of the film a little bit. I don't agree. But if and they don't, they keep it in very they keep dim it lighting. In the shadows, you see a, a hand, you yeah. see, a, you know, the profile, you know, the face, and even the face then is still, you know, uh, shadowed in places. So you don't get a full on well, look at the creature. And they have some really effective, again, effective effects. I've got to come up with a better word. <laughs> but they, they have some convincing effects, let's say. And I, I feel like some pretty advanced ones. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but there's a moment that reminded me, not in the circumstances, but in the effect, a little bit of Terminator. And I, you know exactly yeah. what I mean when I say that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and once you watch it, you'll say, oh, yeah, totally, like, just like Terminator. But it, considering this is 1972, that's a really impressive effect. You know, and then and I think all of their kind of, for lack of a better word, props, but let's say body parts, mm-hmm. <laughs> for their body part props are, you know, again, pretty convincing. And one in particular, I, you know, I was looking at it going, that looks legit. That looks very real. 
So I, you know, they, they did, I think you're right. They knew their limitations, but then also they were able to play up to their strengths. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, fantastic makeup, a phenomenal story to go. uh, And then some terrific actors to pull it all together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really just like, like we said, you know, fives all around. So I guess that is it for Horror Express. So last stop, people, as we pull pull into the station, we just want to thank you for listening. And we hope you will continue to download Orphan Entertainment. We know you've had your choice of podcasts, and we appreciate you. (laughs) That's more airline, I guess. I suppose so. (laughs) But it's true. You could be listening to any number of other people. Uh, please visit our new homepage at orphanentertainment.com and subscribe through iTunes where you can give us a rating and leave a comment. And you can use the Stitcher radio app from any smartphone, tablet, or desktop computer. If you have any feedback or suggestions, send an email or MP3 to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Orphan Entertainment, which we just had a new member uh, just joined today, I believe, uh, Peter. So welcome, Peter. I hope you uh, enjoy yourself and I hope you enjoy the show. And Lydia, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Christopher. I think this is a great choice and I'm actually really thrilled that we got to see this one. Absolutely. This is, I mean, I think we needed a really good one. I think we've, we've had some, you know, back and forth. We've had a few that (laughs) one liked maybe more than another. So it it was a lot of fun actually getting one that we both just truly enjoyed as much as we did. Yes, I agree. Alrighty. Well, we will be back next month with, um, hopefully another winner. Um, we'll see what, I don't know if our battering average has been that good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the, the joys and pitfalls of, of the orphaned genre. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Lydia. I will guess we will talk next month. Absolutely. We'll talk to you all next month. Absolutely. Bye everyone. Bye.